So we're in Mark chapter 2. Why don't we read, pray, and unpack, okay? I'll start out in verse 13 of Mark chapter 2. Um, you remember Mark chapter 2, he heals the paralytic man, the guy with the four friends ripped up the roof, let him down through. Well, that ends in chapter 12, um, verse 12, verse 13 says, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When he heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast, and they came to him saying, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast? But thy disciples fast not. And Jesus said unto them, Can the, child, can the children of the bride chamber fast when the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth and an old garment, else the new piece that filled it, it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, lest the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put in new bottles. We'll end our reading there. Father, we, we look, as it were, this portion that you've given to us this morning, and we pray your blessing on it. It might richly uh, be a benefit to us and a blessing, and that we could use it to further your kingdom. Again, Lord, we're very, we're very concerned about your kingdom. We know people who don't praise you, who don't ascribe worth to you, who don't follow you, and who don't believe in your Son. And we would change that this morning to a great degree. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Immediately, one of uh, Mark's favorite words is the the gospel of the immediate and forthwith and and everything happens. It's kind of like a shooting script. And immediately he arose, took up his bed, went forth before them all, right? We looked at that in verse 12. And he went forth again, okay? Right in the, after that, it's kind of like these things are happening sequentially. He went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. Now, that's nothing new. It is what he's been doing all along, the gospel over healing, the gospel takes precedence. Why? Because if he heals your paral paralyzed condition, if he cleanses you from leprosy, and you haven't partaken of the gospel, then you die and go to hell non-leprous. And you, you're, you're, not, you're not confined to a wheelchair or a, or a bed anymore, but now you go to hell and fully healthy. Yay. Um, you know, it, drugs and alcohol are a horrible thing. And they, 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 there's like a sin and it holds us right there and we're not able to escape from it and things of this nature. But the, but the thing is, so I just, I want to, how many of you guys, I want to go to hell sober. 
well, is there another option? Yes, there is. And that's what we're talking about. And that's why we're like, the gospel preeminently all the time, it's our deepest need. And Jesus knows that. And he's going to give us an example of that here this morning. So he's going forth and teaches. And then, now, let's look at the gospel. Let's look at how this kind of plays out. He passed by. He saw Levi, the son of Alphys, sitting in the receipt of custom. He said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, if you read this in the Gospel of Luke, he saw a tax collector, he saw a publican named uh, Levi, and he said to him, follow me. And he left everything and he followed him. If you read it in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew says, and he saw a publican, no, he saw a man named Matthew. So we got Levi, Levi, and Matthew in the three Gospels. Which is it? Well, it's both. Now, what's the problem here? Why does he have two names? I think a lot of people have two names. Sometimes it's just, you know, I got two names. I was brought up in a family. My name's Edward, and my family calls me, my mom calls me Eddie. You know, I hate that. No, I hate that. At at, uh, 60 years old, plus years old, uh, Eddie, you know, I said, Edward, you know, at least, you know, give it a little bit of dignity or something, though. I'll, I'll name you, I'll call you what I want to call you. You can't tell mom anything, right? But, uh, but everyone else knows. I have friends of mine, I, I tell my, you know, some people, that I have friends of mine, like, I had for 30 years who don't know my name's Edward. So I got two names. It, it, it's, it's kind of a way, so depending on who you're at. Now, some people have two names because they have two different personalities. I think this is the way it works sometimes, and I really do. Um, how many of you guys know Esther in the Bible? Well, we all know Esther. Do you, do you know her other name? Anyone? Hadassah. Why did she get two names? I wonder. And I'm, I, I always I hypothesize. So she's Esther. Uh, you know, she's cool, hip, Babylonian girl, and she's got all her friends, and she's Esther. And to her Jewish friends, who she's kind of trying to keep some semblance to orthodoxy, she's Hadassah. And I think a lot of us are like that. You know, we have a, like a, a, a church persona, and we have a out there hanging around on the job or something else kind of persona. And we have two different... Is that the case with Levi? Well, let's explore that for a second. Or did Jesus change his name? Possible. Jesus does that. Okay. He has a right to do that. Names, uh, I don't name your children. You name your children. Why? Ownership. That's how we get to name something. You know, that, I don't name your children. You don't name mine. That's the way the thing works. You get a new puppy. You don't come ask me, what do you think we ought to name them? It doesn't work that way. Your puppy, your name, that's how it works, okay? Jesus comes on. He says, uh, Peter, not so much. I think I'll call you uh, well, not, Simon, not so much. I think I'll call you Peter, Rocky, right? And Jesus can do that. Is this the case that we have here? Now let me tell you something. We know this much about him. He's a tax collector. Hated. Uh, there's by popular in that day as tax collectors in our day are. Not so much. And by the way, they're kind of thieves, they bid for this position as tax collector, and then how much am I supposed to collect? Well, that's kind of a little bit ambiguous. We need this much from this district. 
So I go about as a tax collector trying to collect, and I say, okay, you owe me this much, this much, this much, pay to the government. Anything above and beyond that I can steal, I'll just, I just pocket. And the government's fine with that as long as they get their amount that they want. And that's how it is. So they're, they're known thieves. Um, the Pharisees said, a tax collector could never go to heaven because if he started in confessing his sins, he'd never get them all confessed before the judgment day. They had a real dim view of tax collectors. And so Jesus comes along, sees this guy as tax collector, and he says to him, hey, you, come with, follow me. And the follow me here doesn't mean get in line behind me, you know, where we're, you know, have a little, you know, conga line or something you're the caboose or nothing like that he's do life with me is the invitation now let's start look at levi his name's levi what does that tell you one he's jewish two he's from probably a levitical family how does he get to be a tax collector a hated jew because he's probably turned his back on judaism I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. This is a hypothesis, and you find something that says, no, that doesn't work, and here's why. Show, show me. But I think he's, listen, he knows Scripture. In the Gospel of Matthew that he wrote, 99 times he says it was written, and he connects the dots back to the Old Testament and shows you how Jesus fulfilled that. 99 times. He says, is that a lot? Well, it's more than the other three Gospels combined. Yeah, it is a lot. He knows Scripture, Okay. Uh, at some point he says, yeah, I might know scripture, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work in the life of the Pharisees. They've memorized the first five books of the Bible. Look at them. They're thieves. They're, they're, they're horrible human beings. They take advantage of widows and the fatherless. They take people and they gouge money out of them to become wealthier and wealthier. They put this big burden on you. You've got to do this and this and this and this, and they don't lift a finger to help you. And at some point, he saw the hypocrisy, like a lot of us see the hypocrisy in religion, and we turn from it. That's as natural as falling off a log. But let me ask you a question. Does it work? Because I know a lot of people have been church burned, and they tell me these horrific stories, and I'm thinking, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. But don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. God didn't do that to you. Some Poor someone who said that his representative did that to you. And they didn't do it according to the rules of this book. Listen, the rules of this book love one another. Treat people like you want to be treated. I've never had someone come to me and say, you know, you go to that church there and they treat you exactly like they would like to be treated. I can't stand it. I'm not, I'm not going there again. Has that ever happened? <laughs> no. If we apply the rules of this book... People will think, well, that, they're winsome. They're very loving. They're, very, they're like this big family. You come in, they treat you like a long-lost brother. i never seen the like of it. Now, religion will burn you because I'll show you that if we, in our study here this morning. So he's turned from that. He said, I saw the hypocrisy. I saw the price gouging. I saw the backstabbing. I saw the power grab, the conniving. I've had it. And if I'm going to go through this world, uh, I might as well get with, with all the get and I can get and, you know, and look out for number one. And he's seen Jesus. Okay, they're in Capernaum now, okay, if you remember. 
Um, it was probably Peter's house that got the roof tore up. Anyway, there, he's in his hometown, his adopted hometown as an adult. And Peter's, uh, Levi has seen him. He's seen some of the miracles. He knows what scripture says. And he's probably adding it all up. And he's probably saying, I think this guy is legit. I think he's the real deal. He don't want nothing to do with me, thief that I am, traitor to my people that I am. I turned away from his whole shooting match, his whole, I, he, he doesn't have any use for me. And I think, I am again, this is a hypothesis. I think when Jesus turns to Levi and says, you, come on, let's do life together. I think Levi is shocked. Listen, weren't you? Weren't you? Because when you find out about Jesus, how awesome he is, and you're thinking, oh, yeah, he don't want nothing to do with me. And then we find out, no, he desperately really does. Let's keep reading. He arose and followed him. By the way, always, always a wise thing to do. Well, them bunch of hypocrites down there at the... Stop, stop. We're talking about Jesus, no hypocrite. And by the way, he's... The word hypocrite is used by Matthew more often than all the other Gospels combined. I think Jesus coined the phrase in the sense like calling somebody hypocrite. It means actor. That's all it means. And it wasn't a derogatory term unless you use it in the sense, you hypocrite, you actor, you're not real, you're not, you're not legit, you got this mask on. You know, you know how in, back in Greek drama they had those big masks and they were the sad and the happy face and all that? They weren't, they weren't, they were a persona. I'm, I'm projecting, I'm not really this sad, but it's a drama and it's a tragedy and I'm projecting sadness. And if I'm saying you're acting one way, but you're not really that way, and I call you a hypocrite, I'm not trying to bless you. Neither was Jesus. Jesus was not about hypocrisy. And the fact that some people in the church are hypocrites, I'm sorry that you got church burned. Like I say, I'm sorry that it's that way, but it's not, it's not the way Jesus wants it. It's not the way Levi wants it, or Levi, Matthew, whatever you want to call him. So it came to pass as Jesus sat at meet in his house. Whose house? Levi's house. Now it says his house, and it'll say the same thing in Matthew, but in Luke says that Levi immediately, he had to got, called this big feast, and he called all his friends together, and many publicans and others. Okay, and the others read here, ne'er-do-wells, uh, nefarious types. Why? Because he's a tax collector. Common people are not hanging out with him. They will have nothing to do with a tax collector. So what are his friends? Other tax collectors. Are there prostitutes there? I don't know. Probably. There are, like I say, ne'er-do-wells. There's nefarious types. And so much so that Jesus catches some flack for it. It came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in, in Levi's house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. So he's at this feast, Jesus says, that Levi's giving in his honor, invites all his friends together and to meet Jesus. Is this awesome or is this awesome? It's awesome to me. Listen, so... When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he, call, uh, that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? I, I have a question here. Any of you guys have eaten with sinners? 
I, I do even when I'm eating all by myself, which thing I hate, by the way. I hate to be in a restaurant all by myself. Yeah, I usually get it to go so I can just, you know, privacy. Mail. If I'm like on the road uh, at a hotel and my job used to be more that way, I'd, you know, grab something and I'd go to the hotel room and eat because I hate being eaten all by myself. But I've never eaten, but I always eaten with sinners. That's just the way it works. Uh, the sinner's cooking for me. Uh, the uh, the wait staff is all sinners. The uh, sinner will bust the table afterward, and the sinner will wash all the dishes. Okay, that's how the thing works, and they're critical of him. Oh, look at he's eating with publicans and sinners. Uh, and so they go to his disciples and say this. Why don't they go to him? Because in the last week, don't you remember he's reading their thoughts, and they say we ain't going to deal with him. We'll go deal with his disciples instead. But if they, he can read your thoughts, he can also hear you, even if you're in hushed tones with his disciples. And I think he comes to his disciples' rescue because they don't know. They're probably all sitting there freaked out, saying, "What's going on here? We ain't never been to a party like this." Look, when you broke bread with someone in that day. We still do that at communion. We still break bread together, and it's partaking of life. You say they, you, they were eating from the same loaf. And by the way, without utensils, it was a lot more intimate, okay? They have a super spreader event every time they get together and have dinner. I mean, that's just the way the thing worked in that day. So here they are sharing of the same loaf that's giving them all life. They're sharing life together. So it was a very intimate setting. And if you were breaking bread with somebody, it was sharing life together. And so the Pharisees are saying, and Pharisees still say, how's that? How, how can you even hang with those people? How can you be with those people? And this changes, this sits religion on its ear. This changes like just everything. How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And Jesus heard and said to them, what is your problem? I like to think he said that. <laughs> he said, they that are whole, they, are they that are healthy, they have no need of a physician. But they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see how icky religion is? No, I'm not. I'm very, very serious. The Pharisees are the religious group, right? And Jesus Hey, uh, let me tell you how it works. Dr. Jesus, in session, I'm here to help. Uh, I haven't, I'm not here to call the righteous to repentance. Now, religion told me that's exactly what he was all about. He was to call the righteous. If you act righteously, you do righteously, you do all the do's that he wants you to do, you give money, you whatever you're deal was. It's different if you're a Catholic righteous person or Jehovah's Witness or Mormon or whatever religious bent you have. Uh, it's different with Hindus. It's different with Muslims. It's different. Whatever, the things that you do and the things that you don't do are different things. But if I do enough of the do's and abstain from the don'ts, God will accept me. And Jesus is saying, that's exactly wrong. That's exactly entirely, absolutely wrong as anything could possibly be. People say, well, I don't have any use for religion. I'm thinking, amen, let's do life together because I don't either, neither does Jesus. People don't get it. They equate God and religion all the time. His God eating with sinners 
and publicans. <gasps> Scandalous! If you want to walk with God, be prepared to be scandalized by His love. He loves the most unlovable. He loves you. He loves me. It's crazy. I, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I don't know how many of us have a lot of unsaved friends. Close personal friends especially. Sometimes, you know, we get saved and we don't hang out with our old friends anymore. And sometimes there's good reasons, you know what I mean? Uh, we always say, like, if you get a German shepherd loose and he, he's running with wolves, he won't domesticate the wolves. He'll, he'll become wild. That's just the way it is. And if you have that, like, you hang with your old buddies and they drag you down back to that crazy lifestyle, you've got to find new, some new friends. Levi, I think he's a loving thing. Hey, I met the savior of humanity. Come on. Let's and he invites everybody. You've got to think, this probably there's music there, there's festivities, there's plenty of food, it's all and stuff. And this is a very loving thing. And I don't think Matthew's going back to his old lifestyle. I think he's, and I think it's a wonderful thing, you know, that it, if you maintain those relationships, I think a lot of times we have our own little cloistered little and all our friends are Christian, and all our music is Christian, and all the books we read are Christian. These are good things. I'm not saying they're not. But don't cut off all our friendships with the... Look at this verse. Look what it's teaching us. Let's keep moving. Um, and the disciples of John and the Pharisees used to fast. And they came and say, why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but the disciples, thy disciples fast not? The disciples of John... That's John the baptizer, that John, right? And the disciples of the Pharisees and the Pharisees, they fasted. Okay? Those are two starkly different groups, okay? I want us to understand that. And they've come together, and they're asking a question of Jesus, and it's the same question, but I think it comes from two different places. Have you found yourself... Politics makes for strange bedfellows. People team up against the church of Jesus Christ who aren't natural allies. And sometimes you find yourself with a group that, how did I get here? You know, most times, like, um, I, I look at a question that comes up and, and a, a political issue or something like that, and I look on who's on which teams, and I already know if I... If I I ain't going to name any names. Don't get old. But there's some people, I, they're like a bellwether. Oh, therefore that? Well, I'm against it. I don't even know what it's about yet, but I know I'm against it because they're for it and vice versa, okay? Uh, but these are like opposite people. The disciples of John the Baptist, the Pharisees. He called them Pharisees. He called them a brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? You know, bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. They're not natural allies, but they're both coming to Jesus with a question. And it's the same question. Hey, we're fasting, the disciples of John say, and the Pharisees say, we're fasting. How come your guys never fast? This is an important question to you. You don't care anyway. You don't have a fast, right? <laughs> I don't care. Whatever. I'm not going to fast. Should we? Is Jesus putting a kibosh on this whole idea? 
I mean, because there's more teaching than just... <clears throat> Jesus said to them, can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? <clears throat> as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. It's not a prohibition against fasting, obviously, but it is a timing issue. So we have a wedding, and we, you know, we, we have a wedding, and then there's usually followed by a reception. You go to the hall, they have all them cards, what table you're going to sit at and stuff like that, and you find your table and stuff, and they already got the hors d'oeuvres going and things like this, and they'll say, hey, you want your bacon-wrapped shrimp? Decidedly unkosher, right? Uh, bacon-wrapped scallops, sorry. I love them both. Uh, and so like, no, no, I, I'm fasting today. Hey, what? Has anyone ever gone to a wedding reception like that and somebody there is fasting? Uh, if, if, it was, if I was holding the wedding feast, right, and I'm one of my sons or one of my daughters are getting married, I don't have daughters, but I mean, hypothetically, go with me, and I'm thinking, no, 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 it's not like that at all. It's a wonderful time. I love my new daughter-in-law. I love my new son-in-law. And I've, I've spread out a lot of bucks here because it's my daughter, and so it's like tens of thousands of dollars I've got out here. Uh, no, you will eat, and you will enjoy yourself, and you will dance, and you will have a good time. Uh, you're not, no, you're not fasting now. That is that's laughable. That's crazy. I will, I will punch you in the head. I mean, don't, don't give me that. You're, you're, not, you're not doing that, okay? It's not the time for that. And I'm, I, I've done some weddings. I've done some funerals. I'd always rather do a, a wedding than a funeral, right? Uh, uh, wedding's a different kind of funeral, Uh <laughs> You, well, you die to self, right? You, you, it's, it's different. It's, it's, it's the same, but it's different. Uh, and uh, then if you have kids, you die to self more. You, you understand that. Um, but, you know, yay, somebody's getting married. Festivities, fun. This is tremendous. We love this. That's, yay. Uh, and it's not a time for fasting. Um, is sickness a time for fasting? Some of you guys have just recently been fasting for quite a bit. <laughs> uh, you didn't even sign up or anything. You lost 10 pounds or 20 pounds, some guys are telling me. Like, uh, I, I totally get it. That's a time for fasting. It's time for prayer. You don't, you don't feel like eating. I, I, I understand. In Scripture, you know there's only one fast, all of Scripture, that's called on to fast. Anyone know it? Yom Kippur. David Tolman. You have to fast during Yom Kippur, one day a year. Now, the Pharisees, a lot of times, they'd fast on Mondays and Thursdays. Why? Thursday was the day that, to them, that Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments from the Lord. Monday was the day he came down, and so they'd fast Monday and Thursday. Ah, uh, you know, that member of the Pharisee, oh, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all my, you know, stuff like this. That was considered like the most holy thing you could do, fast twice a week. How many of you guys fast twice a week? Don't want to know. Don't want to know. Don't care. Some of you people never fast and some of you do. And I'm not prescribing. I'm certainly, I'm not endorsing. I'm not a medical person. Jesus is no stranger to fasting. You remember, he's already been, endured a 40-day fast. Okay, so it's not that fasting is a bad thing. What he's saying is, look, at, this is what all the prophecy had to do with. This is what all the, I'm here. God is with his people. This isn't a time to fast. Oh, he's going to be taken away. 
The days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them. That verse, that word means taken away by force. He knows what's coming. Or there'll be time for fasting. And we look through the book of Acts and we see sometimes when the disciples are in certain situations where they're fasting. What's that all about to you? Is it a time to, I, listen, food is less important to me right now than the will of God is. I'm really at a crossroads. I'm really at a time where I'm seeking God. I'm not seeking food. I'm seeking what does God have for me. Now let's put that aside for a season and let's search for the Lord. And it's different fast. Um, you know, in, when I was teaching Seven Oaks, they used to put people on a word fast. And basically that, shut up. <laughs> Next seven days, word fast. When a supervisor, uh, superintendent, some, somebody directly asks you a question, you can answer them. Other than that, you're not talking. And that's usually when they're so exasperated by somebody, they just basically tell them, I don't want to hear from you. But they, on the serious side, they were saying, it's a time for reflection, time for you not to talk, for you to listen, and listen for the voice of God. And I thought that was an okay thing. We can fast from television. We can fast from, you know, um, in the book of Daniel, it says he was fasting from dainty foods. He wasn't, like, it wasn't a total fast. He fasted from desserts and all kinds of sweets and stuff like it seemed to me. Um, this different type of, of fast, you should, you know, do you, Fast from R-rated movies. I think you should, in perpetuity, somewhat. I mean, because, you know, some, some th things are R-rated for, you know, the Passion of the Christ had an R-rating. Okay? Y you, you understand what I'm saying. Sometimes in the, that NC-17, yeah, fast from them forever. There's, n there's no question. And sometimes there's a, a season in our life we fast for different things, for different, and there's different ways of fasting. Should you or should you not? You should pray and let God lead you in those situations. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and they shall fast in those days. No man also saw the piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that, uh, that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. Wait, Jesus, hello, fasting, come on back. We're talking about fasting. We're talking about how come you guys aren't fasting. And he's explaining exactly that. It sounds like a, a change in direction, doesn't it? It's not at all. Look, it's wedding time. Yay, I'm here. It's feasting time. I'll be taken away, and they'll be fasting then. You know, it's like this, guys. You, you want to understand it this way? No man soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. Now, he's not teaching us how to take care of garments. He's giving us an illustration. Now, now, if you're like under 30 here, sit up and listen. This is crazy stuff. Back in the day, like when I was like my teens or even early 20s, we would buy like dungarees and they didn't have tears in them, okay? They weren't pre-torn, okay? I, I know, I know, you, you guys are shocked. You're thinking, like, why, why would you do that? I, I don't know, I don't know. It just wasn't done in that day. But we had old dungarees that when we did get a hole in our Levi's especially, because they were, okay, uh, you know, think of the Carhartt of the day, or I'm thinking, I don't know when they, I don't even know when I first started wearing Carhartts or anything like that. Back in the day, Levi's, they're expensive. And if they get a little torn, you go, ugh. And you'd have to patch them up. 
And you'd take, you wouldn't take a new pair of Levi's and cut them up, would you? Because that would be crazy. And the new Levi's, they weren't, they weren't shrunk yet. So when you put that in the wash, the, the old jeans that were ripped, they, they were already shrunk up. But the new ones, they would shrink and, uh, oh no, the, the rent would be made worse. Just put it that way. So you get some old Levi's that you stored under your bed or something like that. And when you tore your new Levi's, newer Levi's, you'd take a patch, you'd cut it out, and you'd sew it on. Right? That's how it worked. And all of us who are like <laughs> my age or even close, we, we get it. We're all saying, yep, yep, that's how we used to do it. That's, that's right. You wouldn't do it vice versa. It just wouldn't work that way. I haven't come to patch up an old system. So what is the, what is the patch and what's the old system? The patch is the gospel. The old system is Judaism. I, I'm not a proponent of the, listen, I'm a New Testament Bible teacher, I'm a Bible teacher, okay? And I'll talk to you about Yom Kippur and I'll show you all the things, but we don't do Yom Kippur here. Have I ever said, oh, you know, by the way, it's in a few days from now, depending on what calendar you're going, it's like eight days from now, Yom Kippur, or is three and a half weeks ago, depending on what calendar you're going by. But anyway, let's just say it's eight days from now. We're going to have Yom Kippur. We're going to get together for Yom Kippur. I'm not trying to patch up an old garment either. That was, there was a time for that. And that's what righteousness looked like someday. You guys ever uh, wonder, you're reading some, how come we don't do this anymore? Well, one, we don't have a high priest, right? Uh, we, we do. His name's Jesus Christ. We don't have a high priest human that we can go to with an animal and drag him to him and have him. Is anyone anywhere on the planet going to have a, is there a temple somewhere? We're going to take two goats, one by selection by this lottery, and okay, you're the scapegoat, you're the, you're going to, hey, you, bad news, you're going to die today, and we cut his throat, sprinkle the blood on a mercy seat, where? You, you can't, you can't. You can't, but we're not here to patch up an old system. Some people really have a problem in their mind separating what is incumbent upon us and what is not. Uh, and we always have disciples of the Pharisees and disciples of John who want to know well, how come we're not fasting. And, and they always want to be like, I think it comes from a different place when John says it, John's disciples. I think like, you know, our master was a very austere man and he, you know, announced Jesus Christ coming. He was fast. I mean, his life was a fast. He's eating grasshoppers and honey. Uh, his whole, he, he didn't be eating no, nothing else practically. And, and so we're supposed to be doing that? What, what's going on here? And there, there's an honest, and then there's the Pharisees. How come you're not keeping the rules? The, the, the guys with the beams in their eyes looking for splinters in your eyes. And it comes, like I say, it's a different, it's the same question coming from a different place. And we still have those two types of people. What's incumbent upon us? What are we supposed to be doing? And then there's another group of people just trying to find fault with everything we do, and it's wrong, and there's something wrong about it. And he's like, look, I got to tell you something. I didn't come to patch up an old system. Uh, let me give you another example, he says. No man putteth new wine into old bottles. New it, bottles, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. It's all wrong. Wineskins. 
is an animal bladder or, or some leather contrivance sewed together that kind of hell liquid. Put new wine, new wineskins. It's great. The wine expands. The wineskins that have been soaked in water, by the way, they will expand as well. Great. It works out. Now, if you have the old wineskins, they've already stretched out. You put new wine in it and it starts to expand because wine does that, then the wineskins will burst. The wine's on the ground, all in the sand, and the, the wineskin's no good. You lost them both. You, you see, and that's probably even a better example because it's, it's in us, you know, it's kind of like the, the new spirit. It, it, the spirit of God, the gospel, doesn't work in a system where you do this and do this and do this and you try to earn points towards salvation. You, 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 you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ or you're saved by religion. They, 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 don't, they never fit together. And I'm telling you, get rid of religion. It, ne- it doesn't work. It never worked at all. People think that, you know, uh, you know Moses come along with the Ten Commandments. You keep Ten Commandments, you go to heaven. That's what the Old Testament looked like. Never looked that way. Ten Commandments were given to us to show us that we can't keep the Ten Commandments, among other things. The law was a schoolmaster to show us that we needed grace, that we needed salvation by another method, that we couldn't be, keep the law and go to heaven. No one puts new wine into old bottles. The new wine doth burst the wineskins, and the wine is spilled, and the, bottle will be, the bottles will be marred. They'll be no good. New wine must be put into new wineskins. skins. <sighs> You see how this is misapplied? And this is important. We'll end here. Anytime you personally or your church isn't doing what the new paradigm is. You know, we're into prayer maze now. We're into encounter groups or there's so many things coming and going. The, you, you, did you, did you, uh, you remember the the laughter thing they were doing, holy laughter. And then they were kind of like on the floor twitching and that was um, unspeakable joy or something. They have all these different. And you got to buy in. You, you guys would do well to watch more YouTube videos. I know what I'm talking about. Everyone look at me like, what are you talking about, Gramps? There's all kinds of new stuff out there, spirituality. And if you're not into that, you know what the problem is? You're all wineskins. You all dried up. You can't move with the spirit. You can't go with the flow. You can't. Now listen. I believe Pentecost is once for all event that happens over and over and over in our lives. It happened historically. Does it happen? To, does Pentecost happen to you? Does the spirit of God come and fill you? Yeah, yeah. In that sense, okay, it's historical, the birth of the church. The, birth, the church ain't going to be birthed again, but it's going to be birthed again in you. The Spirit can come and live in you, and He can move us in different ways. You know, we move with technology. You know, we have like things like microphones. Uh, it used to be open air. It used to be, you know, if you had a group, you had to yell. I mean, megaphone, whatever, you know what I mean? So things change, and ways of doing things change. But the gospel is the gospel is the gospel is the gospel. And that, see, I'm trying to point out something there. 
not accusing you of being old bottles is my way of manipulating you into this new thing. I think some new thing's okay. Let's look at it. Let's see what Scripture has to say about it. I'm so old that what you're doing with the guitar one day was considered very radical in churches. We had, on to Catholic Mass, we had a, the, the 9 o'clock uh, guitar mass, we'd call it. We named the whole mass after it because it was so, they had guitars and they were leading us in worship that way. And the person on the keyboard, that old lady with the bun, the white hair with the, and I don't know why they always had to wear a bun, but the big pipe organ, majestic, sounds like a Vincent Price movie going on all the time or something. That was spirituality. And if you showed up with a guitar, especially with that hair, man, forget about it, you would be looked at like, what is going on here? Is that okay thing we think it's okay we didn't even think about it anymore but i'm telling you it was a time when that was and people would say oh you're old wine you can't listen worship is always it's always in vogue it's always in fashion to ascribe worth to god and if we come out with a new musical instrument and people playing that don't care I, you know i always wonder about time we're going to be doing this and like our grandkids will say what is this we got a new whole different way to you know, worship God. We got this thing. It's called a pipe organ. Oh, man, it's awesome. And keyboards. And if you don't worship God that way, and drums, get rid of them. You can't be. It's going to go full circle sometimes. I'm just telling you. This is the way things are. Look, the gospel's the gospel's the gospel's the gospel. You need that to get saved. And all the other stuff, we judge that one thing at a time. We look at that and we evaluate that in the light of Scripture. I'm not against technology. We're on Facebook right now as we speak right you think paul would have been if he could i i kind of think so i kind of think he wanted to reach the whole world and you give him a platform to do that i think he i think he would have uh but you know what i mean don't let people manipulate you and tell you you know this is a new way we're doing stuff and you you got to join in or you're 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 all wineskins you see that so that's all right, I, I kind of, anyway. Look, what's the takeaway? Jesus saw a sinner, and he said, hey, come on, let's do life together. And to the man's credit, he arose and followed him. That's the, that's the big thing. That's the big thing, Okay. Uh, if you haven't come that far, a lot of this other stuff I'm talking about, it's, it's important, but it's kind of second story stuff. Get, <laughs> take care of the, you know, first level stuff first. Take care of like, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Is he calling on you to follow him? I'm telling you on the authority of this book he is. I, I don't think so, Adam. If he knew my heart, he does. And he's saying, he, he knew this man was a notorious thief. And he says, hey, come with. I'm the Savior. I, I, Dr. Jesus, uh, therapy is in session. We're going to fix you up. We're gonna, we're gonna, don't try to do religion. Don't try to become good and, and meet with his approval. It never will ever work. If I do good things, he'll love me. No, 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 no. He loves you now. He already loves you. 
We're accepted in the beloved. Let's stand. Let's pray. They'll send us out of here in song. The guy with the guitar and the long hair is going <laughs> to. <clears throat> I didn't pick on you at all. Beards used to be. Because in the 60s, beards were. They were a sign of, you know, hippies and draft dodgers and all kinds of ne'er-do-wells. So I love your hair. I really, listen, am I jealous or what? I mean, we all know that, okay? I mean, nobody's, nobody's saying different from that. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you know, we laugh and we have a good time at the end of the day, Lord. We want to do your will and we want to, hey, hey, Lord, we want to follow you. We want to do life together. We're so thankful for this gracious invitation that you've bestowed upon us, the most unworthy of all, Lord, uh, sinners and publicans, every one of us, Lord, and we thank you for loving us, for sending your son to pay for our uh, sins on the cross, and Lord, yes, we would gladly sit and have dinner with you and fellowship with you and do life together. So, Lord, blessed to that end, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.